Watch what you do. Watch what you say. And fear the moon on New Year's Day. The end of the year draws closer, and the small town of Lakewood suffers a series of vicious animal attacks. High school senior Emily Burns suspects it may be something worse. Something, or someone, close to her. Robert R. Best, author of the Memorial Trilogy, returns with his first new novel in seven years. New Year's Day tells a chilling tale of lonesome nights, menacing shadows, and werewolves. Look for it on Amazon or anywhere you buy books. Watch what you do, watch what you say, and fear the moon on New Year's Day. This program is a proud member of Univaz. Unified. Unique. Voices. Learn more at univazpods.net. Hello. My name's Patrick, and I'm a Scream Queen. I'm a Scream Queen. And so are you! Screamers, and welcome to another episode of Scream Queens, the podcast where horror gets gay. This is episode 313, and tonight we begin our month-long salute to the fabulous horror films of Canada. And what better way to start than with one of their most famous slashers, My Bloody Valentine, from 1981. And joining me on this ill-advised trip to the very cursed town of Valentine's Bluff is actual Canadian and fountain of literary knowledge, Miss Tara Gardner, and also filmmaker, Canadian horror expert, and soon-to-be-published author of For God's Sake, Get Out! The Amityville Horror at the Movies, Mr. Brian Norton. That's right, kids, we're gonna be working in a coal mine, going down, 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 working in a coal mine. It's Harry Warden Town. Yeah, I know that was a stretch, but you know what? Before we go any further, before I start singing some other stupid song, please allow me to introduce myself. My name is Patrick Walsh, and since 2010, I've been your guide to the weird and wonderful world of horror movies. But you're going to have to see them through my very, very gay little eyes. <laughs> that was for my French Canadians out there. <laughs> Great, I've offended them already. So what's been going on in Scream Queen's headquarters since last we chatted? Well, first of all, big news, I got the first dose of my Moderna vaccine. Yay! I am so happy. I'm so happy. And, you know, there hasn't been any side effects except I woke up the next morning looking like Dolly Parton. Personally, I was okay with that. But, you know, okay, whatever. It, it, it didn't last for long. It didn't last for long. I'm totally back to normal now. Okay, my boobs are still huge. But aside from that, I'm totally back to normal. The other news I know I talked about last time was that Smoochie, who's not feeling well, but she's been to the vet, she's on antibiotics, she's doing better, she's fat, she's on yet another diet with, I'm, I'm talking to an actual cat dietitian because she's such a problem. Yeah, that's a thing. That's a person who actually, it's a job to make fat cats not fat. I'm fine, she's fine, my hair's fine, what's left of it, whatever, it's all fine. However, the clock is ticking because... Ooh, let's just say the past couple of weeks since the last episode have been a blur when it comes to the podcast because lots of things have gone on. You already know I had to bump an episode here. Uh, I had to bump the Mur- Murder by Death episode and I had to bump the tattoo episode over on Damn You Uncle Lewis because of what happened in Atlanta. That's fine, no problems. But that meant I had to whip up two new episodes in a very short amount of time. Yes, we've covered that, Patrick. True, but while I was doing that, 
I think I talked about this on the Patreon show, but not here, that my external hard drive where I keep everything for the podcast just decided to stop working. It's not recognized anymore. It makes weird grinding noises. That's got 11 years of podcast stuff on it. I was talking to Brad and he's like, well, why don't you make a backup? That was the backup, dick face. So I'm having to rebuild everything about the show from scratch, like all the sound effects, all the intros, all the outros, while trying to get ahead of myself as well, because, uh, gosh, I'm moving Murder by Death to the first episode in May. Why? Because I'm going to be getting my second Moderna shot about four days before that episode's out. I figure, hmm, rumor has it, the side effects are going to be pretty bad. Maybe I should have everything done in advance so I can just put it all up and everything will be fine. Yeah, except that whole episode was on that other hard drive. So I'm having to piece that all together. And it's you know what? It's it's a real drag. The more I try to get ahead of myself, the more I fall behind. And I had to get this episode out to you guys in like 10 minutes. So what that means is I'm going to stop complaining. I'm just letting you know what's going on over here. That I'm <laughs> Dad is struggling, but you know the show must go on. And with that, the show must go on. So what I'm going to do is play the trailer for My Bloody Valentine. While that's going on, I'm going to go get Tara and Brian. Because we've all got a date with Harry Warden. It's a bad time. This time of year. How many times is he going to tell this story? I'll let him tell it. I love fairy tales. This ain't no fairy tale, little girl. If you don't take it seriously, you're a fool. Valentine's dance in 20 years has to be something special. Look, Flanders, you've got to get a lot of exercise if you're going to grapple with Gretchen. Oh, yeah? Well, I got a Valentine for her that she's never going to forget. <laughs> right to the heart, huh? This town on Valentine's Day, everybody loses their heart. Roses are red, violets are blue. One is dead, and so are you. It can't be happening again. It can't be happening again. What's going on over in Valentine Bluffs? It looks like Harry Warden's back in town. It happened once. It happened twice. Cancel the dancer, it'll happen twice. In the town of Valentine Bluffs, there are many ways to die. Take your pick. Bloody Valentine. Oh, Canada, your horror movies rock. My beautiful screamers, I am thrilled and delighted to be kicking off this salute to the glorious country of Canada and its treasure trove of fabulous horror movies. That's why I want to kick things off with 
what I consider one of the best slasher movies, not just from Canada, but from any country. And of course, the movie I'm talking about is My Bloody Valentine from 1981. And joining me, I have two very special guests. The first, you met her back in October when she was here to talk about The Fog. She is an actual real-life Canadian, and if you want to know anything, believe me, she's got the book. She can look stuff up. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls at my GNCs, wherever you may be, please welcome back to the show, the fabulous Miss Tara Gunner. Hello. Hey, I don't actually say that all that often, but let's do it right now. Hi, Tara. <laughs> well, I'll just say it randomly throughout the, the podcast. Hey. Otherwise, they won't believe that you're actually Canadian. Okay, if you're really a Canadian, what part of Canada are you from, Tara? I am smack between Toronto and Niagara Falls. Hence why my accent is kind of bland. Okay. I'm not okay, from any of the right. really interesting sounding places. If you're not from Saskatoon, it's just not worth it, okay? If you're not from someplace that sounds hilarious, I'm not interested. If you're not from Come By Chance or Dildo, are you from anywhere? Uh, Who is that? What, where did that voice come from? Oh, that's right. There's somebody else in the panel. I thought, you know what? Canadian Horror Month, who do I know that it is an absolute Canadian horror file? Oh, I know. You've met him here on the show before. He was here to talk, not surprisingly, about Happy Birthday to Me and also the TV movie Don't Go to Sleep. And in the interim, he is about to become a world-famous published author. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls in my GNCs, wherever you may be, put your hands, possibly your feet, together for Mr. Brian Norton! Oh my gosh. Hello, Tara. Hello, Patrick. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. I'm busting at the seams because I know way too much about this. <sighs> I'm out of breath already. Good. That's exactly why you're here. Because I said if anyone's going to be a fountain of information about every possible person involved in this movie, and every detail of where it was shot, it's going to be Brian. If whoever's got the juicy scoop, it's going to be you, Norton. I can't even dine out on it ever. Nobody cares, you know? So hopefully your listeners, well, there'll be a couple like new friends I can meet because, uh, you know, when I say Canadian movies... Even to my Canadian friends, they're like, what are you talking about? I have my side podcast, Damn You, Uncle Lewis, where we talk about Friday the 13th, the series. So I have been steep. I'm steeping myself in Canadian <laughs> horror I, every month. And it, 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 we, have, we have two veterans of the show in this movie. So that makes me very happy. But we'll get there. Okay. Brian. Yes. I am so happy to have you back. Because one of the things, one of the reasons I haven't been calling Brian back to be on the show is because I knew that he was hard at work on this book. And it's not just any book. It is a book with the fabulous title, For God's Sake, Get Out! About the first three Abbeville movies. The making of, the behind the scenes, the drama, the shit that the world has been... Well, the cool portions of the world have been dying to know, Brian. It was about the first three Amityville movies, but now it's about all the Amityville movies. What? what? And for better or worse. Now, listen, I'm I'm not even saying that the Amityville movies are are great. They're just they're they're important to me from childhood, and it was a topic that hadn't been covered by the publisher. And I said, sure, I'll do it. And it's it's been three years now, and over 225 interviews. Everyone, and I got Margot Kidder's last interview right before she died. I'd like, I hope I didn't have anything to do with it, but um, uh, it's just it's it's like a, a 40 year old jigsaw puzzle about what people remember making this movie. And uh, when I say I'm covering all of them, there's there's a whole bunch of movies that use the word Amityville in it. 
I was going to say, Brian, I'm like, that's going to be like 35,000 movies at this yeah, point. In the those past are years. camcorder movies, so I'm not covering those. I'm only covering the ones that are technically canon, which did go Canadian tax shelter for one movie. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. But it's going to be a beautiful hardcover uh, coffee table book. And who even cares about my words that I'm writing? I have the most amazing, never before seen pictures uh, that that uh, the cast and crew has sent me or Martha De Laurentiis has raided her archives at, uh, at um, her studio and uh, just unbelievable stuff. Unbelievable stuff that was cut out of Amityville till you wouldn't even believe it. What were they thinking? Who Amazing. knows? Who, Who knows? knows? Well, just, as with this movie, we're going to learn the MPA it was very, very fussy. But anyway, yeah. what I want, what I want to say, this is a genuine compliment is that it doesn't sound like one. It doesn't start as one, but it will be. I grew up on Long Island. Ten minutes from that house, <laughs> we all know it's bullshit. You know, the only thing—it's the only thing. The only thing is that well, the reasons why people don't want anybody to know about the house, why they keep changing how it looks, is because if you buy that house, because I think it's up for sale right now, yeah. you're going to have drunk assholes in your lawn all night, every night. You're going to always going to be people driving on the street, ringing the doorbell, that kind of bullshit. Yeah, I got the guy who I was a roommate in college. He's like, oh yeah, I was best friends with with the kids that lived in the house after the Lutzes. So wow. I know it's bullshit. We used to play in the red room. That's oh, where they kidding. kept their toys. So, but anyway, I'm over Amityville. Like Amityville does nothing for me. The movies were always like, eh, eh, yeah. eh. Oh, second one was okay, eh. But I don't go back to them. They're not a touchstone. I can't wait for this book. You're being nice. Come on, you remember James Brolin and his tidy whities Come on, you'll buy it for that. Following your feed on Facebook and seeing these post the pictures that you've been linking and the people that seeing who you have interviews scheduled with. I'm like, this is going to be amazing. It's been so hard not to leak some of these photos. Plug it up, Brian. Plug it I have, up. I literally a stick up a stick up on my my computer <laughs> that says "Don't, don't, don't." So, but anyway, understandable. Yeah. Okay, so my bloody Valentine. Let's get into this. Now we have a tradition here at Scream Queens. In a previous take, I might tarot do it. So, Brian, I'm going to need you to give me a nice, tight, thirty second back of the DVD plot summary of the 1981 slasher, My Bloody Valentine, filmed in fabulous Nova Scotia. The clock starts now. In the sleepy mining town of Valentine's Bluffs. The town officials are going to resurrect the tradition of the annual Valentine's Day dance, which they have not had in 20-something years because of a tragedy and a bunch of murders that happened. Once they start announcing the dance, the new Valentine's dance, the murders start happening again. And is it the same person who is killing everyone who was caught? And that's not. time. I even let you go over because you don't. Okay, you were doing sorry. so well, and you look so pretty right. in pain. You were trying Thanks. too hard. Well, 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 no, good job. Good job. Good job. Yes, that's exactly right. The town of Valentine's Bluff is going to have one hell of a Valentine's Day when escaped murderer Harry Warden comes back to town after his legendary massacre twenty years ago and starts the murders anew, or does he? I love this movie, and I love it more now as an adult. Like it was always a great slasher, but I appreciate things about it now. I love the fact that it's. Not about teenagers, and it's about blue-collar working families in this dead-end town in a dying industry. There's something really tragic about the location to start with. You believe that these people like each other, and yeah. so that when too. they die, you're actually really sad. Instead Very of somewhere, true. it's just like, well, they're cannon fodder. Get rid of them. It's like, no, I liked them. Yeah, I agree. I understand some of the, the younger the youths might say there's pacing problems. No, that's <laughs> character development, honey. Yeah, I like to, I like to feel something when my characters go. Well, I mean, at least want to miss this him. Sounds, this sounds overreaching, but uh, I hate it. It's 
a slasher film or not, it's actually a really good portrait of a town. I mean, it's it's seriously, it's like a John Sayles movie in that sense. You know, it's like the first hour of Deer Hunter. You know, you really believe people in this town and it's just like what an existence to live there and to, you know every night that's what people would do they'd go and drink in those little houses well, and that's like- what's still like really small towns where it's maybe one thing that's keeping them open like there's still mines in canada where and i have friends who were like way up north in the territories is where they grew up and it's you have the legion hall and that's where everyone meets yep. and so you're drinking at 16 but your parents are there too and everyone else in the town if that closed, there'd be nowhere else to go that night. I, I believe it. I, I believe it. And also, they show them cooking um, frozen dinners on the engine of a car that's idling, which I have done in Rhode Island um, in the middle of winter. So it's that kind of small town thing. No, I did. It's, I think that is really, really interesting. I want. I want to visit there. And the fact that TJ is reminiscing about the good old days when it was really good dumb parties, I was like, okay. Uh. <laughs> he is he is the epitome. Like as the movie goes on, you realize, oh, you're the richer kid, richer ish in this town that never really had consequences. So when you fell on your ass, you're really pissed that things aren't just the exact same way, and everyone just were frozen waiting for you to come back. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. yeah because it's one of those towns. You're born there, you live there, you die there, you don't leave. Came back to town, nothing but a poor man's Michael Sarazen clone wannabe. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's truth. Why don't we talk about the cast a bit? This is uh, the epitome of, well, for me growing up in Canada, we have something called the Canadian content law, where 70% of all broadcast needs to be Canadian. And that can be where it's made here, The enough of the cast or the crew is Canadian. So for me, this entire cast... I recognize like 98% of them and half of them, I swear from just audio of my childhood growing up, the sheriff or chief, whatever it is, Don Franks, for anyone my age and younger, the original Inspector Gadget, he's Dr. Claw. Oh, right. What? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So what? You know that voice. Don Just Franks. think yeah. of listening to his voice. And he's done a whole bunch of other stuff. His daughter is Cree Summer, who did the voice of Penny and has done a whole bunch of other stuff for him. And like Hollis did a whole bunch of voice work. Yeah. Rest in peace. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, no, it's, I, I, uh, my obsession with Canadian tax shelter movies, it's uh, I, that whole, there's a whole generation of actors that are just interchangeable and uh from what i understand the rite of passage for an actor in canada was that you had to have been on a show called the little littlest, littlest hobo. hobo yes yeah <laughs> it was like the love boat for us you know it's like everyone was on that show <laughs> at one point or another yeah uh i have this side podcast you know my, my patrons know this uh my listeners know this uh that we do for patreon uh damn you Wonka lewis which is about friday the 13th the series we go one episode at a time and we always like clock the actors and what they've done, what we might recognize. I stopped mentioning Avonlea because I decided that Avonlea was the Canadian law and order. Like if you're an actor, you've been on <laughs> if you Avonlea and if you haven't been, then you, you don't count. Yeah, Littlest Hobo, Avonlea, and uh, Street Legal. Those are going to be your main three from the 80s. Nice. 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 Or Night Heat. Lori Hellier. Is that yeah. her name? Yeah. Lori Hellier, Hellier. as Sarah brings a sense of gravitas to this movie that it almost doesn't deserve. Like you don't see in a slasher movie. Uh-huh. You really understand like this hard place she's in with these two guys just trying to be like, I want to be your friend. I moved on, but I still care about you, but I like him. And can you both stop being assholes? And I have my own myth. Thank you. She says what, at one what, point. Yes. One of the other things I love about this movie, like 
which you don't get much anymore. They don't make it obvious who your final girl is. I, I felt I felt like anybody could go. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I wouldn't yeah. have been surprised if she'd been killed too. Right. Yeah. Although I would have been really sad because her boot game is on fleek with it throughout this movie. <laughs> All of her boots. I'm like, oh. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> but but you know that 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 love triangle that that casual sort of sexism which was seventies and eighties popular. I believe it. Oh, you yeah. know, like okay, what about uh, why can't I make a decision? These guys are fighting with each other over someone who's standing right there who should be the the ultimate person to decide. Did you brought it up, Brian. What love triangle are we talking about here? We're talking about a love triangle between Laurie Hollier, who plays, uh, oh my God, what's her name? Sarah. 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 And her old flame, uh, TJ, who left town and he's come back a couple years later, but now she's with TJ's best friend, ex best friend, Axel. So it's a little tense there. And TJ just expects everything to go back the way it was because everything yeah. else did. His car yeah. was there. His dad got him his old job back. His yeah. friends were there. She's the only one that yeah. went, nope. Yeah. Yeah. I should get my girl back. You just left me here. That's what she says. <laughs> Can I tell you something? Go ahead. I, I, I also like that we have a, a hero, like our main, like our TJ. Not likable, but I don't like, I don't hate him. Like, he, like he's, he's a terrible character, like just demanding and awful and temperamental. But yet I'm still, he's still the hero and I'm, I'm on board with that. I don't, he doesn't lose me. I don't want to see him die. He keeps trying to fight Axel. And then the one time they do, Axel kicks his ass. Oh, yeah. And then Hollis stops them both. Who I'm going to just say now, Hollis and Patty are relationship goals. (laughs) And I really think they're the two best characters. I loved them the most. They are the two best characters. And one of the things that's famous about this movie is that the MPAA did a number on the, the, the gore effects, which were recently restored. And normally when they release new footage... It, it's cool. Like, oh, okay, that was all right. It, it's like they actually make the movie better, and that's rare. Yeah, you got some great gore effects, but those two characters that you mentioned, Hollis and Patty, their kill scenes isn't so much about the gore of it. It's seeing the pain. It's seeing the suffering, the surprise, and seeing the light go out in their eyes, and that's horrifying. Yeah, yeah I, was horrifying. I was surprised just to see a bloodless reaction of her uh getting you know in pain that that and was that was cut up. that was cut yeah Be- i can you see why it's really personal i mean she locks eyes yeah with her killer the light goes out she's staring into his eyes like, that's horrible. that's always a bad edit though that because it makes it look like sarah has just forgotten about her two seconds later because they do this abrupt cut to her already <laughs> walking away but i wish that they had just bridged that with something you two are busy i'm just gonna go yeah. in the original <laughs> one i think you only see the one hit yep. by the air nail gun Ba-choo! to hollis yep. i thought it was two it was a bang bang it was just two in rapid succession or something yeah. like that this yeah. one he reloads and you notice okay he's been lobotomized now and then the next and the next, and he's just staggering on animal instinct to get back to the people Patty. he was trying to help. The get nail gun. But yeah. getting back to Patty, uh, the ubiquitous Dale sisters from Canada, yeah, Jennifer Dale yeah. and Cynthia Dale. Are they the Canadian Islebox? Uh, I'm going to say yes, because I didn't hear you. But Are they like the Canadian Islebox sisters? Probably, yes, yes. From I don't know who you're mentioning, Do you I'm know, sorry. There's two sisters that were in TV movies constantly oh, okay. in America. Albacher, 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 Lisa and oh, I oh, Albacher, yeah, 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 of course, Lisa Albacher and her sister from uh, um, Bad Ronald. Well, they're both in Bad Ronald, but uh, yeah, Cindy Albacher, yes, C- Cindy, Cindy from uh, from uh, what did we cover with her? Go, what you were on the show? I think you were on the show. It was the it, Pro Haven Farm, right? Die Baron, yeah. 
Yes. Yes. Yeah, Jennifer and Cynthia Dale. They were just, and you know, if you ever watch the Vintage uh, Genie Awards, which you can see on YouTube, the Canadian Oscars, and it's like their list of the greatest names in Canadian history: Jennifer Dale, Cynthia Dale, Maury Chaikin. That's like everyone has been on these movies. It's amazing. Yes. Nice. Nice. For the longest time, confession, but this is back in the '80s when these movies were. I thought that Cynthia Dale was the same actress who played the best friend. And happy birthday to me. And I thought that TJ also played TP in Mad Men. No. <laughs> That's wrong. Okay. That's, you know, I can, I can see it. I, I can see it. Yeah. They have, they have names that are just initials. They must be the same person. Of course. TP, TJ, yes. Except the one scene where Sarah just calls him Jesse. Jesse. Like, what? Jesse. Right. On the bluff, she calls him Jesse. I actually stopped the movie this time around, went back and put the subtitles on. Oh, my God. Uh, I'm assuming that's what the J stands for. I oh, so that's too. nice. She's the only one that's allowed to call him that. I love that's that. That's like his little pet name. That is nice. It's a nice little moment there. Or blooper. Hmm. But it's not his real name. <laughs> no, right. Sarah's got a third piece on the side. <laughs> <laughs> Sarah's planning Atta to leave girl. town as well. Atta girl. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of that Canadian, I mean, uh, Peruvian marching powder in Valentine Bluff. Or, yeah. It would probably be meth today, wouldn't it? Yeah. A town probably. like that? Yeah. It's probably, yeah, the coal mine is shut down. It's just a meth mine now. They're just digging There's out. There's a lot of, of trouble <laughs> with that in certain small towns in Hillbilly heroin. the East Coast. Yeah. Yeah. It's beautiful there, though. If anyone ever gets a chance to go out to the East Coast of Canada... Don't go in winter one because you will get stuck there for months. Um, but go. Come for the gorgeous scenery. Stay for the methamphetamine. I love it when they're on that that beautiful cliff and he says, remember this spot? <laughs> I'm like, it's all of Canada. <laughs> She's like, yeah, I, of course I remember this spot. It's like the, the bluff. <laughs> it's down the street from where I work. Yeah, I, my house is right over there. <laughs> and it must be down the street. It must be down the street from where she, where she works or where she lives because he then goes to the bar and lets her walk home alone. Yes. Yeah. And he just assumes they're back together. She works at the Dollar Tree. Her. Yeah. I love it. It may have come across. I don't like <laughs> TJ. Yeah. I think he's a big jerk. And I think it's kind of his fault these murders happened. Because maybe if there'd only been the one stressor of the Valentine's dance, big spoiler here, Axel wouldn't have killed people. But the stressor of that and losing the possibility of losing Sarah tipped him over the edge. Absolutely. There's a point in the movie after their fight in the lunchroom where the party has moved to. You see Axel go outside and he's, he's crying and he's drinking. It's after that that the murders, he starts tormenting the victims. Like There's a distinct change in how he's been going about it. The others have been quick kills. The goal for the first two murders is very clear. I must do whatever it takes to stop this dance. But when the dance doesn't stop, and then this fight happens, it gets personal. It's not just a single motive anymore. Now it's, I must punish them. Not just for what happened 20 years ago, but for what just happened now. You hurt me right now, and now you're all really going to pay. Now he's The angry. scariest, for me at least, it was the scariest Kellis of Sylvia, I believe her name is. Helen Udy. In the shower room. Yeah. Oh my God, Helen Udy. Yeah, it is. She's Canadian royalty, yeah. It is absolutely terrifying. Helen Udy will be back in our next episode. Sure, Adam Rockoff, who wrote the book Going to Pieces, The Rise and Fall of the Slasher Film, when he mentions that scene, he said it's something almost beautiful about how that scene is done. Even though it's a horrible murder being impaled on a shower pipe, 
but it, it was it, it, it is amazing amazing scene and with those few extra seconds that we get to see it's not as cutty as it was before it's pretty fascinating stuff yeah. coming from my stunt background i mean not such much stunts but like fight choreography stuff i'm going how did they not pull her head off the way she's getting thrown <laughs> he's holding her by her head hauling this poor girl across the locker room and, and, and not just hauling her, but he's swinging her like a sack of potatoes and it's terrifying She's not on a dolly, and she's not rolling. I don't know how. How are they doing this? It was. It was very frightening. It was very. It's very frightening to watch. Even though they. Even though they foreshadow. I. Did, did, I do like the foreshadowing. Oh yes. They have several bits, or either they have foreshadowing, yep. or or strangely worded dialogue that perfectly predicts the fate of the character speaking it. I may not I may make, not it, make out it out alive. alive. <laughs> yeah. Well, that that's a that's an eye rolling one. I sometimes think you lose your head if it wasn't held on with rope. I was that was always odd because who holds a head on with rope? Oh, I get it. <laughs> but yeah, like that Sylvia, her boyfriend. Their thing is when they see each other, he lifts her up by her head, which is a little weird, and kisses her and then puts her down because she's much smaller than him. Yeah, she's petite. And just the uh, the shower pipes being just that cinched metal pole, yeah. you know. So we'll come back to this topic later, but. I do have to point out that shower scene always disturbs him. Like, okay, okay, everyone's okay with everybody sharing shower nozzles. <laughs> I mean, obviously, I'm okay with it, but I'm not sure if the movie-going audiences of 1980 would have been. You know what I mean? Like, like three guys to a nozzle. It was the 80s. I know. It's just a clue to what's coming later in the subtext, but we'll come back to that. That's this, a. a- exploitation website and it's got the behind the scenes photos and they are all naked in there it's like a a photo of all of them buck naked we're a little more lax on nudity in canada yeah it was very cold (laughs) well brian i'm going to refrain judgment on that until i actually see the photographs you're talking about and in order to do that i need you to give me that url right now give it to me now well, Patrick, you and I are of that age where uh, everyone must shower, right? Those horrible signs in our gym class. That's a health code thing. That's state law. Well, not anymore. Now it's a civil rights violation. Yeah, I know. Yeah, we, yeah, we had the gang showers, but Hollis and Howard were happily showering together, sharing. Another. Anyway, whatever. Not the point. But anyway. <laughs> Look, I just want to say I'm not complaining, but if the filmmakers didn't want me to think about Hollis and, and Howard's dicks, like occasionally like brushing up against each other while they're lathering and sharing that shower nozzle, well, they failed. They failed miserably, and they failed so much that the tape was probably worn out on the VHS copy that I own. Shut up. Leave me alone. Mm-hmm. Let's just say I was obsessed with that scene as a youth. Maybe a little bit now, but we'll come back to that at a later time because they're bros, Canadian bros. That's how they roll. Oh, yeah. We're just a couple of dude bros, buddy. Eh? Followed by a scene of what I like to call banjo tomfoolery. <laughs> right. Get to the cars. we got to get to the booze. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> exactly. It made, made me happy. It made me happy. It was a callback to the Friday the 13th. You're right. With uh, Kevin and Marcy driving in the truck. Just that same, all of a sudden, there's banjo music for no reason. The burning's got a hillbilly. Uh... A, a bridge to when they're when they're canoeing it's more banjo um and since we brought up howard alf humphreys rest in peace oh he's gone yes oh i didn't know that um he was one of those guys where you just you saw him in everything he guest starred in yeah, everything yeah. funeral home with leslie donaldson yeah. um, he, a, a very a, a handsome and silver-haired and later in life he was always playing teachers final and destination too yeah 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 absolutely yeah funeral home with my friend leslie donaldson she said that he was absolutely lovely 
Absolutely lovely. Yes, that's the other thing on on, on Damian Uncle Lewis. We're realizing that all roads lead back to Leslie Donaldson when we're talking about the actors. No, but nobody's more than two clicks away from Leslie Donaldson. So God bless her. Do you God know, bless her. It, and Leslie is even in my book because she remembered. You know, the the thing with Canadian actors is, are you going to get out of Canada? Like Catherine Mary Stewart got out of Canada, right? And ah. She didn't have to do the tax shelter movies. Much like Valentine's Bluff. Yes. Leslie mm-hmm. says that she was so excited to get a. Um, a audition for Amityville 2, where she actually went to New York, which was in the Trump Tower, which was the the Gulf and Western Building, and she auditioned for that. And uh, there was like Leah Thompson there, Jamie Gertz, but that would have wow. been like a because that was a legitimate American or Italian production. So there you go. Yeah, because if you have a really good agent in Canada, you will keep working. Yes. So it's you could give up a lot if you leave. Yeah, you could. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and I'm glad that she didn't right away because she's in some of my favorites. She's in Deadly Eyes. I mean, I love Deadly Eyes. I really do. And I just want to say, we watched that together, Tara. <laughs> did you really? Um, yeah. Everyone complains yeah, about political. I was political doing it for another cor- podcast, so I had I asked Tara to watch it uh, to watch it with me. Every everyone complains about political correctness, and I sometimes roll my eyes, like yeah, you're exaggerating. Until I spent three days in Facebook jail because I love to post that clip. I posted every year of the rats um, in that baby in the ugly kitchen. Oh, the ugly baby, the ugliest baby in the world. Yeah. <laughs> and I called it, you know, it's always like dachshunds eat ugly Canadian baby. And I got flagged for hate speech because I said ugly Canadian baby. <laughs> and I spent three days in Facebook jail, but that baby Our is – babies are beautiful, God Ugly baby, ugly <laughs> kitchen. Have you seen the baby? <laughs> <laughs> Did you watch the clip? It's an ugly bad baby from Canada. So, yeah, I've been flagged. I'm, uh, I'm a hate speecher, so – Okay, but, um, sidebar, which I'm probably going to have to cut out because I don't want to spend too much time on Deadly Eyes. My favorite thing about that movie <laughs> is the, the 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 woman who who's the the the, the lead, Sarah Botsford. Uh, thank you. Her apartment has that wall of marionettes that nobody references. <laughs> <laughs> Creepy, all going up the I stairs, like, right? I mean, he's coming over for that one night stand. I'm walking up the stairs, go fuck no, oh no, 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 no. What kind of shit are we going to get into? <laughs> It's like, am I going to become a human marionette? She's revealed to be the mystery slasher in Still of the Night with Meryl Streep and Roy Scheider. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. Yes. What I also love, I love the commitment that they have that would be hilarious in another movie. It's that it's, it's almost concept overkill. It's a Valentine's Day slasher movie taking place in a town called Valentine's Bluff. It's a Valentine's Day dance. Every time they're in the bar, they're playing a song that has Valentine in the title, which I learned from the subtitles. And at some point, you hear the DJ on the radio, and the radio station is QPID or something like that. Cupid. What is it? It's like Cupid. Cupid. Yeah, it's Cupid. They just committed to it. And it's just... It's but it's adorable. in a really subtle way. Oh, let me just make it clear that I am not knocking it in any way. They do it really well. Like, you don't really know it. Yeah. Yeah. And the bar does have, like... The best slightly employed version of Crazy Ralph from Friday the 13th. <laughs> oh, my God. Happy? I love him. He's, a, he's another wait. familiar face in Canadian movies from that time. Yeah. Yeah. But his character is just awesome. What I love about him, I love a good exposition monologue. Here's the backstory of what happened 20 years ago. Kind of a thing. I love that he's... Th- he starts his completely uninitiated, like he's not talking to anybody. I get, the, I get the impression he does that every night, no matter who's listening. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah you get that impression from the, the captain guy who's just sitting there with his pipe being like, oh, I love he's this. He's he should be in his own movie. Who is that guy? <laughs> I love him. 
So do I. But the thing is, I realized I probably never noticed it before. Because, I mean, how could you not notice him? I realized I probably never saw him before. Because every other version I saw was the VHS copy or the HBO copy, which is probably pan and scan. And that gorgeous, gorgeous Gordon's Fisherman man was probably left on the cutting room floor. Fine, cut him out completely and just focus on cranky-ass happy, stupid happy and his stupid boring story every goddamn night. Ugh. Yeah, he yells this at the younger people every goddamn year. And this it's the epitome of, like, old man yells yep. at Cloud because they are not listening in the least. You know, I really should go to another bar, but unfortunately it's the only bar for 150 miles. <laughs> I love everything that happens in the bar, unlike happy birthday to me comparing the two movies which came out uh, the same year you got this cast that's not teenagers they all are likable and they all like each other as opposed to happy birthday to me where they're all rich they're all obnoxious and they all hate each other and then you take the bar scenes the bar scenes here they're warm they're fun everything's great and in the other movies they're all horrible but you both you both get impromptu musical numbers in both and i always appreciate that <laughs> yeah absolutely they burst they, they all of a sudden have an impromptu musical numbers Singing to Harriet, who hasn't been robbed of her chariot. And I don't know about you, but I would much prefer a catchy but raunchy ditty sung by a bunch of sexy miners rather than 99 fucking bottles of beer on the wall sung by Shriners. Yeah, I was. uh, uh, She's got like an Annie perm, doesn't she? She does. Yeah. She Uh, does. She's cute. I I liked her. I liked her look. She was adorable. A Valentine virgin named Harriet. Yep. Nobody had to put a rat in a beer? <laughs> well, we know about her boyfriend, right? Because Axel tells us. Oh, yeah. Big old dick is so big, he got to throw it over his shoulder to burp it, is what he said. Yeah, yeah and burp I it, thought yes. about that. Ooh, 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 yes. ooh, ooh, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. That's a big old dick. You might have lucked out there, Harry, <laughs> that, <laughs> that Axel came along and killed you. Otherwise, you might not be walking right anymore. Well, anyway, that's how you that's know it's no homo is if they make fun of each other's dicks in the shower. That's a no homo thing, you know. So, I'm looking, but I'm looking to make fun of it. I'm looking exactly. because I can't not look at it because it's everywhere. It's huge. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but my fa- my favorite part of the movie. In an asshole kind of way, is when Harriet comes over to the table and she goes, Okay, who ordered the moose head? <laughs> Harriet, who didn't order the moose head? Who ordered the moose head? <laughs> that is fucking hilarious. Even when I was little, that was hilarious. <laughs> There's so much moose head in the movie. There's moose head product placement everywhere. There's moose head product placement in the laundry bag for some reason. Until they get to the party and they drink slits, which makes no sense to me. Anyway, details that I love. I love the okay dress shop. Oh, yes. You need a dress? Eh, it's okay. <laughs> is, that, oh, is that in the background? It's just okay dress yeah, shop? Yeah, yeah. When, when, Patty, when Patty and Sarah. Sarah are walking down the street talking about the boys, they walk past the okay dress shop. And oh. you know that's the only dress shop for 50 miles. <laughs> no mannequins. They just open up a catalog and point. <laughs> yeah, thank you. No, thank it's you. Town it's, that it's, small. It's, there's the laundromat, <laughs> the one place you can buy clothes, the one grocery store, and then the union hall and the bar. And Mabel's laundry machine, uh, the laundrette. That's it. That's all you got in that town. Have fun. Okay, dress shop. What are you wearing? Okay. You won't look good. It's okay. How many quarters <laughs> did the killer have to put in that dryer to keep it going until the chief finds that body? Still a shocking death. Yes. And uh, that is Patricia Hamilton. Patricia Hamilton, who wound up on Friday the 13th, the series, in the uh, Shadowboxer episode. Doesn't have a big part, but she was great. She was like, my husband just got beaten to death in an alley, and I'm living my best life right now. Well, I, I, wa- I always wanted to ask you this. Is, 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 that, a, is that a bad wig, Patrick? No, it's not, I don't think so. I think it is. Really? I think it is. She looks, dis- she looks distinctly younger yeah. 
in Friday the 13th, the series, and that was shot seven years later. Like when the killer grabs her hair and pulls her back, I'm like, that wig's going to fall off. I just, I never understood because she doesn't oh, look yeah, that old. Oh, yeah, right, you know? right. I've seen her in stuff where she has similar hair, though. Okay. I don't know. Maybe it's just they, they wanted that look for her. Maybe, maybe she's born with it. You know. <laughs> maybe it's okay. <laughs> okay. Maybe it's Canadian. <laughs> <laughs> and again, the, the extended footage here was shocking. I was expecting the extended footage to be of the pickaxe going in Mabel. No. But no, the extended footage is actually Mabel's corpse in the dryer. And then Mabel's corpse in the dryer getting tumbled in the dryer. Just spinning and spinning and spinning and flopping and spinning. That body is gross. I mean, it's lingering, long, loving shots of the body in the dryer when the sheriff finds her. Her boiled eyes. The eyes are boiled. She's got a titty hanging out. Yeah. It's, it's, and you love this character. The couple of scenes that she's in, she's just so sweet and so charming. This yeah, nice she, little you can tell she's a really nice person. And then not only does she fall out of that dryer, it then just starts moving again. Yeah. And she's going again. And it's just like, oh, God, make it stop. And that the guy she's kind of sweet on is the one that found her. And it's just like, oh, to the heart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Although one of the scary things in the movie for me is Chief Newbie's wig. Yeah. <laughs> Girl, what is on your head? <laughs> Don Franks had really like shoulder length hair and he had a, a he brought his own wig. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's a bad wig. If you see any pictures of him just normally, he has like bandana across his head and shoulder length hair. That is all I know him, the look of him, even in shows I've seen him in. That's all, other than this look, that's all I know him for. Okay, that makes sense then. He's great too. He grounds the movie nicely. Oh yeah, like, and even the mayor who owns the mine and is TJ's father, his reasons for not wanting, both of them, the reasons for not wanting the town to know that Mabel was murdered, and they just say she had a heart attack, it's because they don't want to scare, like legit, they don't want to scare people. It's not, oh, we want to bring in money and this, they're like... We don't want this to happen anymore. We remember this the first time. Yeah. yeah. And we just, we, we don't want anyone else to die. Someone already sent us a heart out of nowhere and we don't know where that girl is, who I guess she had a minor's kink and <laughs> that must have been a lot harder to get, like sort of fuel. A young, a young woman. She was hard faced for a young woman, I think. But again, small town, right? I'm thinking she was a working girl. I think she might have been, I think she might have been one of the, I think she might have been a, a sex worker of some kind. Mm -hmm. It was a practice. Might be. See if you can do it. Oh, yeah. And since you brought since you brought him up, the mayor, the mayor, who is also TJ's dad, is uh, Larry Reynolds, who is a regular. Oh, not not regular, but he pops up three times on Friday the 13th, the series. Uh, what we've covered so far, he was in the poison pen. He was uh, one of the monks. The monk that has to decapitate himself with a guillotine that you keep in the cellar like monasteries do, I guess. Of course. Sure. Don't we all? I also thought if Axel survived this whole thing and got away with it, he might have died of diabetes because he's sitting all those empty chocolate boxes. So, he's, you know, he's got this mountain of chocolate somewhere in his house. He's got a shrink wrap machine. It wasn't until I went to, I, w I, I went and made all these bloody Valentine boxes to mail out to friends this year. And I realized, but wait, they have to be shrink wrapped. And it was this really complicated process. <laughs> you can make it easier. I do it at work. There's an easier way. But yeah, so Axel, you actually kind of feel bad for him when you find out he's the killer, I think. Because, yeah, he's been a bit of a jerk, but not as much as TJ, in my opinion, because I hate TJ. And then you find out that why he's doing this. And it does make sense why he would not want this, the dance to happen, the people to celebrate Valentine's Day, because it's been entirely forgotten. Since you brought it up, why is he doing this? Because 
this whole tragedy started. There were seven miners at the bottom of the mine. The two sort of ones in charge left early to go to the Valentine's dance. And there was an explosion and five miners were caught and trapped for six weeks. At the end, one miner survived, Harry Warden, by eating his friends. He went crazy and then a year later escapes, comes back and kills those two miners who left them there and leaves their hearts at the dance and says, don't you ever have another one. What we find out at the very end is one of those miners who was killed by Harry Warden was Axel's father. And not only was Axel's father one of Harry Warden's victims, Axel witnessed the murder. He saw the whole thing. And it's never telegraphed before that other than saying, other than what Happy says of this is what happened, da-da-da-da-da, pay attention. But it's been 20 years. No one puts together of his friends of, oh, yeah, the, your dad. The mayor has to say it out loud at the end, though. He says, oh, 20 years ago, Harry Warden killed Axel's father. Axel's father. <laughs> you might have told, you might have mentioned that yeah. earlier. <laughs> oh, yeah. But I think it's one of those oh, things yeah. of so many people just, it's been 20 years. Why would they remember? And all his friends would have grown up. Just his dad's dead. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And one of the things I think they do really well here. Other movies try it, but I think this movie really succeeds in that you get a, you get a great misdirect in Harry Warden. This town's got its own built-in resident boogeyman, and the movie doesn't give you any inkling to think that it's not Harry Warden at any point. You don't feel like you're watching a whodunit. You feel like Harry Warden's come back to town. You have no evidence otherwise, so it's 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 a real shock when you find out. And a couple more swings of that pickaxe, and Axel would have gotten away with it. He could have come back up and said, Harry Warden did it all, and no one would have thought otherwise. If you look at the killings that happened, like the, the early ones, they make sense. Like I said, I, I mean, because I, I said, I, I, my listeners know, I spent time training to become a um, profiler. So I have a lot of uh, criminal psychology things. And so I said, okay, it makes sense that the first one was a practice. Uh, girl in the bra to practice see if I can do it and also to say stop it trying to get that send the heart again I'm going to bore you by coming at this from a profiling angle these first two murders almost seem to have a clinical function they are there for a purpose they are there to stop the dance we need I need to kill somebody to get a heart to send to the place to warn them that doesn't work I have to go bigger so there's not there's not as much rage behind it. There's not as much anger. There's not as much emotion. It's just getting the job done. And the thing with this first murder with this girl, in my hand, she's a sex worker. Because that's often how serial killers start. They will start with, or even even you know, robbers or, or muggers and things like that. They'll start on weaker prey. They'll start with elderly people or runaways or the homeless or sex workers because they're easy targets or they won't be missed, or both. And it seems like this girl was that way. And on the other hand, based on what we see in the movie, I don't know. Sometimes I look, maybe he just got, you know, he, he, he rented the services of a young woman for the night, got down in the mine, and it was that heart tattoo that sent him off. I'm not sure. It could go either way. But still, her death served a clinical purpose. And now that I'm saying things out loud, it's even possible that this death was the sighting incident. Her death was, killing her was an act of passion. Like, in the moment, he saw the heart, and he snapped. And that is actually what starts the rest of the events. Not specifically the dance. It's actually killing her going, oh my gosh, she had a heart on her. I killed somebody and oh my gosh. And they're starting to dance? Well, I got to stop that dance. Instead of being like, I had to bring this girl down here to kill her to stop the dance. I don't know. You know, it, 
profiling is a murky science, okay? And Mabel is the, if Mabel's the one who's putting the dance on, or the one who's like driving it, it makes sense that she's the one who has to die. Yeah, she's in that charge will stop of the dance it. committee. If yeah. we get rid of the head of it, they cannot possibly have a dance if I kill Mabel, the town will be in mourning. And Happy, of course, you know. Well, that's after they said they're going to have the party, because then TJ's like, I got a great idea. I got keys to my dad's mind. We can go have it at the cafe there. Woo! And so Happy goes to set up a trap to scare them. Great kill, by the way. Gross kill. Gross kill. That's like that's like that's what I would expect to see in a cutscene that's room and restored. That kind of level of gore. And but still, it's, it's still not yeah. complete, according to the director. He said that there was a shot where the eye popped out. That you saw it popped out. Uh, yeah. So because the original, it's just from behind. You get the idea that he's gotten a pickaxe up through him. Mm. In the extended, you're seeing it come all the way through, and that he's dragged. Yeah, he comes out his eye, and the eye is wiggling. It's just wiggling on the, on the stock. It's so gross. It's so wonderfully gross. But at least he got a good laugh in before he died. He really loved that little trick. Oh God, Happy was so happy. And happy if he hadn't gone back for that one last chuckle, oh, would have been alive. What? <laughs> I would have killed him. Just like shut up. <laughs> It's like, I wasn't trick. going to kill you, but God damn it. And see, Happy's murder is also when my inner profile kicks in. Inner profiler, I should say, kicks in. Because one of the first things they teach you, is, especially when you're looking at a series of crimes or murders, you have to look at it and say, how does this particular crime, the one I'm looking at right now, how does it differ from all of the others? And unlike the first two, this one feels different. Unlike the first two, which feel like they're crimes for a purpose. They're warnings. And the ones later, when he's angry, and now he's tormenting people, they're, 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 they've become mean. This one feels different. This one feels almost like a crime of opportunity. And the reason why I say that is because two things happened that couldn't have been planned for in advance. One would have been the gang deciding to have the party at the mine once the dance is canceled. That probably came as a huge surprise to Axel, our murderer. The second being... Happy setting up this practical joke, breaking into the mind to set up a practical joke. No way he could have predicted that either. So it just seems like wrong place, wrong time for Happy, or right place, right time for Axel. And you have to set up a scenario in your head. It doesn't really matter if it's right or not. It's just like you have to paint a picture. Okay, how could this have happened? And in my mind, what happened is like everybody said, oh, we're going to have a party at the mine. Maybe Axel freaks out and he's like, oh, fuck, what am I going to do? And maybe he's there at the mine like freaking out or maybe checking the place out to see what he can do or, or make a plan. And then Happy shows up. To set up this trap. Ha ha ha. It's so funny. Ha ha ha. And you know, maybe Axel's really kind of pissed off because he's really tired of hearing this story every fucking night. That having Happy relive the murder of his father, as they find out later, over and over and over, and then be making a joke of it. And he's got another opportunity. And you know what? Fuck it. I'm taking him out too. That's what it feels like to me. Whether it's right or wrong, I don't know. But that's how I make it work. The thing that also that, I th that strikes me, again, we're talking about. Stupid things, but like the, the the dance was supposed to be at the Union Hall, so that's what they're decorating at the beginning. And believe me, as an audience, we know how big this town is. We know how many people live there because every time you show us the Valentine's Bluff sign, bam, there's the population two thousand three hundred forty something or whatever the hell it is. This town has what two thousand three hundred people in it. You're getting all them in that Union Hall? I don't think so. I don't think so. Quick question: Do you guys have Legion halls down in the state? Yeah, like a VFW. My, my parents belong to the American Legion. Yeah, there's there's the American Legion, there's the VFW, Knights of Columbus. I don't know if like the Elks Lodge, but yeah, we have our our, our variants of that. Kind of, yeah, because I'm just wondering if that's because I in my head every time I remember it, I think Legion Hall because that's what we have around here, and I'm just wondering if that's why they changed it to Union Hall. 
I don't know. Well, it would make sense if it's it's a mining town. It's yeah. So the Union Hall is massive. I think that well, from what I know, in situations like that, in in America, a lot a lot of time the mining company owns everything in town. So every time you're buying, oh yeah, everything you buy goes back to the mine anyway. And plus, I'm also just thinking that okay, it's Valentine's Bluff. This is the first Valentine's Day dance. You name your town after this holiday you're having your first dance in ages this is the social event of the year this is probably the only thing that happens in this town and it hasn't happened for 20 years and it's and now it's suddenly happening again and you know damn well every damn person in that town is jacked up for it it's all anybody's talking about literally it's all anybody talks about the whole movie everybody is going to be there it makes sense that the mine is going to want to have their little corporate hands and that little corporate cash register to make sure they get their cut of it but as you were saying, like, even Happy's death is to serve a purpose to warn the sheriff, you didn't stop this. And then after he has the fight with TJ and Sarah basically tells them both to just go suck it and leave her alone, then it changes. The murders distinctly change in tone after that. Also, what I think is yeah. fascinating that, he, that Axel, if, as, since he's the killer, is jumping in and out of his outfit. <laughs> killer effort like, donning this elaborate with, with astounding guys. ease <laughs> with his, especially down in the mine but he doesn't have a backpack with him to put the stuff in nothing nothing it just happens it just happens yeah. it doesn't matter it doesn't matter it's all good though it's all yeah. good yeah and then they have the party which was such a bad idea and then the worst idea happens to go down let's go mine. down in the mine which was, oh so cool when i was a kid that roller coaster that they take all the way down there was just oh so I I have to go I want to go down and there knowing that it's not on a set that they shot in a mine yeah is awesome I don't know they did convert that mine to a museum so I don't know if you could actually still Road go trip. there oh did you I don't okay. know if it's still but, but, up there. Oh, oh, a okay. mine that would go down there in the darkness so cool. And this is me coming at it from an actor point of view or from a production point of view, even just knowing how movie shoots are like, even when you're not shooting in a mine, you could be shooting in the most luxurious hotel or whatever somewhere. It's always a miserable experience. It's hot. It's cramped. There's tons of people. And if you're shooting in a mine, you can't even go on break somewhere. You, you know, you're, cu- you're whatever, 400 feet down. I don't know how deep these things go, but you know what I mean? There's no escape from it. And 16, 18 hour days. This must have been a nightmare. It was dangerous. They uh, more than what I read an article, um, and as going with my last appearance here, I read stuff. Um, Tell us about the book tower. Everybody drank. Everybody drank. <laughs> they would often have they would have people monitoring the methane levels, and so they more than once had them just go, "Okay, everybody out now," and they had it was damp, so they had to watch for the water and with their lights and the lime dust that they talk about is real, so you're breathing it in. So yeah, it was really difficult, but they wanted that authenticity, and they even say like it wouldn't have been the same. No, it pays off. It pays off. Not surprisingly, all my favorite parts are down there, and that's not necessarily kill shots. The the, the shot of Harry, uh, I just gotta say Harry Warden, since he, we all know it's not Harry Warden coming down coming down the tunnel, breaking light bulbs. Yeah. Oh, that yeah. yeah. Great, great. Or the scene where um, Harold, Patty, and Sarah are all around Hollis's corpse. And they hear the breathing. They look up, and you just see the headlamp go across each one of their faces. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's terrifying. That's a great lobby card, too. Yeah. No, he's looking at me right now. He is right there. We need to go right now. And Patty won't run because she loves him. She loves Hollis, which is totally believable. Like the short amount of time you believe that Hollis and Patty have been together forever and love each other completely. Not, not so secret confessions. Hollis was an early crush of mine. He's just this big 
cuddly teddy bear and and, and, his, and his great sense of humor. His mustache game is on fleek, and and somehow, seriously, somehow, despite Axel and TJ and their traditional good looks and their machismo, their rugged machismo, somehow Hollis, with his warmth and his laughter, who's somehow the leader of the group. I love that. I love him. Keith Knight, rest in peace. Well, he's a sweetheart. He is, absolutely. I also like watching it this time and knowing how 80s movies normally go is that you have a bigger boy in this movie and at no point is there a fat joke about Hollis. Right. That- Hollis is... He's the brains around there. He's the brains. He's the peacekeeper. He breaks up several fights. He's the one that comes and sits and talks to Axel down after that dump party fight. Argument, I should say. Because they don't even, it's not even guaranteed that they're going to throw the party at the mine until Hollis says so. Like TJ's all like, let's do it, let's do it. And it's not until Hollis is yeah, like, okay, he gives it the, he that gives it, it happens. Okay. But even, the, even before they get down to the mines, the murders have begun. We already talked about Sylvia being killed, the famous shower scene. We also have Dave not so uh, not as spectacular death. I think it's interesting that they cut so much of it though. The guy mm-hmm. gets drowned in the hot dog water, which is conspicuously not boiling at any point. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's the he's and, the, the the most thinly drawn character. He's yeah. the, he's the one that doesn't seem like he belongs in that that town. The most you get is right at the start of the party. Someone says, "Oh, you look good," and he's like, "Yeah." He basically Shame. alludes to, "I'm getting right, out right, of this right. town. Yeah. I'm leaving." Yeah. He also looked so much like. Uh, Slavitsky, Harriet's boyfriend, yeah. that I thought they were the same person. Oh. Well, they're always together. In most shots, they're like side by side. Mm. So that could be at your brain's just like, there's not enough for two. Let's just make it one. Mm. And I think they had to cut the scene because they just didn't want wieners floating that close to somebody's face. Yeah. <laughs> when I saw the uncut footage, I'm like, oh no, they t- they actually went to the trouble of doing the uh, point of view of wiener pot, you know? <laughs> wiener <laughs> Wiener vision. Yeah, so the I also think I also have to say hats off to Sarah. Hats off to Sarah. She goes stomping right down there in the mine, wearing white. She doesn't give a fuck. She has no fuck left to give. She's like, fine, I'm out of yep. here. I'm give wearing white, u- I'm going in the mine. She's like, give me that utility belt. Let me put on my dune boots and we're out of here. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that was a serious belt. That was a serious belt. She's like, I've just sworn off men entirely. These guys suck. Let's go. What do I care? And not one woman wears a bra in this movie. <laughs> It's Canada. What are you trying to break the budget? What do you think? It's the OK dress shop, not the OK bra shop. Okay. I don't know if that is the early '80s or something, but it's very much like how in like the early Friday the Thirteenth, no one wears underwear. Oh, oh, they wear brown sateen underwear. Oh, they wear brown. Thank you. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Thank you. Like this will seduce him. Ooh. The only underwear we see is when Hollis gets pantsed in the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and a bra at the beginning. Yeah, that's it. That's it, that's it. Yeah, one of the other scenes that was cut was was Howard's head popping off. Oh yeah, just when, right. when, in the in the shaft. What I thought was so grisly about this—it's a great shot, and I didn't see it coming, even though I knew he, I knew how well, you know they're they're climbing up that whole shaft thing, which is a wonderfully tense scene, very um, Poseidon adventure. And Hollis's body falls. Yeah, uh, not Hollis's. Yeah. Uh, Howard's body yeah. falls, but he's got a rope around his neck. Yeah. And then in the original print, you just saw the whole body fall. Yeah, it was very, co- very confusing in the original version when the, the scenes cut out. Like, what happened? Yeah. His head popped up, which is exactly what happens when you, when you hang somebody for, for when the drop is too far. Your head will pop off like a grape, and that's what happened. And what I thought was the grisliest thing about it is like when they come, you see the body fall, you see everybody climbing down, and they take one last shot of his head that's still stuck in the rope. That the the neck was visibly torn. 
<laughs> the flesh around oh, yeah. was torn. It was gross. It was gross, and I loved it. I also love that Howard is the asshole, but he's not that big an asshole. Like he's like like you would hate he's him. Well, he, he does abandon them, though. I mean, does he just leaves yeah. them? It's like, oh my god, coward! I don't coward. blame him though. You know, really, there isn't any, I mean, he's not a hero. He's not your hero. Goes, feet don't fail me now. Back at the beginning, but he and he's the baby. He's the baby. It's established to be the baby of the group. You're right. You're right. He's the newest miner, and they leave him down there because he's not at the train car to come up in time. So he has to come up on his own. Yeah. And so he runs off on his own. And he even says at one point, he's like, I don't know where we are. So he doesn't know the mine yeah. yet. And then TJ and Axel to the rescue. Mm. Okay. Ugh. I'm going to have to stop the proceedings now because I have to Scream Queens this shit up. Because Scream Queens, of course, is the podcast for horror gets gay. And my buddy Valentine is about to get real gay. Because all this movie needed was for TJ and Axel to make out and none of this would happen. It's all there in the script. I believe it. It's, it's all there in the script. It's all through the script. That dump scene is like fraught, fraught with gay tension, fraught with gay tension. It's, it's like it's like a terror train with Hart Bachner and uh, 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 Derek McGibbon. They're, Mo. They're, yeah. Yeah, Mo. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it, it's very similar to which sports are you going? I think there's more to this past than we know about. Like, why'd you leave town so quickly, TJ? Why'd you leave town so quickly? What happened? Why couldn't they have just been a thruple? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That's what I was going to say. The, the solution to the problem, because as Patty says, well, you can't have both of them. She didn't answer. She was like, oh, you do want both of them. I'm like, well, yes, you can. You can have both of them. <laughs> you can't have both of them. They're all into you, and they're into each other, but they want a minute yet to get together. Everyone's going to have a happy ending and get the fuck out of this town. Get Axel some therapy. All right, so here it is. The official Scream Queens fan fiction making my bloody Valentine gay. I believe in my heart of hearts that the situation between Axel and TJ is very similar to the one that was in Witchboard. These two guys used to fool around when they were younger. You know, nothing serious. You know, experimental stuff. You don't talk about it. Fine. They thought they grew out of it. Until one night at this party at the dump at the car graveyard, they got drunk. Everybody else went racing off to the bluffs. They didn't. They were hanging out in the car, hanging out in that hollowed out car, and things got serious again. Something happened. Because all this time, maybe Axel still loves TJ. And not just as a friend, but in that way. And afterwards, there was gay panic. TJ couldn't handle it. TJ freaked out. TJ left town. Similarly, Axel freaks out. Axel can't handle it. Axel starts dating Sarah to prove to the world how straight he is. Two closet doors come slamming down. Slam, slam, stuff it away. It never happened. And just like in Witchboard, Axel starts dating Sarah. Possibly not because he's into Sarah, but because she reminds him of TJ. So when he's putting his dick in her, it's like he's putting his dick in TJ. And now we can go back into small town closeted life and nobody's going to know the difference until TJ comes back. And not only does he come back, TJ starts working in the mine again. So not only do both of these men have the person who knows their dark, dirty secrets back in their lives, but you have to deal with them all day Every day. And that's why we're fighting. And that's why I don't think the fight's really about Sarah. And being two guys in this hyper-masculine miners town, they're not going to deal with the problem. No, they're not going to deal with the problem head on and all. No, we're going to dance around it, never talk about it. But all that energy is going to get pent up and all those weird feelings are going to come out some way and they're going to come out fighting over this girl. And I think that every time Axel says, stay away from Sarah, what he's really saying is get closer to me. And that's why TJ's so eager for everything to go back to the way it was. Go back to the way it was, not before we left, but because of what happened to make him leave. Before the time they made love in that sweet, sweet, burned-out car. 
And for evidence, I present to you the scene in the car in the junkyard. <laughs> we open with Axel playing his harmonica solo. All alone in the car. But not just any car. The car. Yeah. Awkward silence. Come on, shove over. TJ just slides in next to Axel. Sure is cold tonight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just keep me warm, baby. Axel starts playing his harmonica again. His mouth organ. And now TJ joins in, gets his mouth organ out, and they start making beautiful music together. Well, I guess we got ourselves a problem, huh? A big, hard problem. Yeah, yeah I guess so. Mm-hmm. What are we going to do about it? There ain't nothing to do about it. Beg to differ. Make out. I'm playing, yeah. <laughs> I'm playing the dialogue. I'm going to play the audio clip. When you hear it without the visuals, it sounds like porn. And to prove my point, let's take a listen to that audio one more time. Sure is cold tonight. Yeah. Well, I guess we got ourselves a problem, huh? Yeah. I guess so. What are we going to do about it? There ain't nothing to do about it. <laughs> It's all there. It's all there. It's all there. And what does what does Axel take out of his pocket? And start playing a harmonica. What's another name for a harmonica? Mouth harp. What's another name for it? I, uh, Mouth organ. Oh, okay, there we oh go. dear. Mouth organ. And then TJ comes by, sits down, and then he puts a mouth organ in his mouth. I'm like, uh huh. I'm gonna need a cigarette <laughs> and a shower after this podcast. You had you both had each other's mouth organs in your mouth, and the, the dialogue is all there. And then later on. Later on, later on, long after this, uh, actually, when this scene ends, when this scene ends, TJ's left there alone, and Hollis comes by and says, We're kind of hard on him, Teach. Not as hard as he wanted to be on him. Hard on. <laughs> like, but not as hard as you were the Iowa night before you left, TJ. <laughs> after yet another lover's quarrel, this time at work at the mines, TJ says, Son of a bitch is after my ass. Keeps it up, I'm gonna nail. <laughs> it's all there. It's all there. It's all there. I'm just I'm not even gonna call it looking at it through the gay lens. It's just the Patrick lens. <laughs> Thank you. Hey, like I said, if it's not there, I force it. Yeah. And I'm forcing it here. And Absolutely. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And then the TJ at the party, he's wearing the ascot and he's got four yeah. buttons on that. I'm like, who are you hooking up with, TJ? The ascot, yeah. <laughs> Definitely, it doesn't hold a candle to the homoeroticism of Terror Train, though. I mean, that is oh, just... Terror Train. My other example is Witchboard. Like... Oh, that is that is yeah. that is that is strange too. I mean, that's just straight up. Yeah, text. That, yeah, it's not even subtext. <laughs> no, it's not because at a certain point, I'm like these two. It's like okay, your girlfriend's possessed, and you two go off for a romantic actually, weekend in Big Bear. What is what's both Terror Train? Both Terror Train and Witchboard have a scene where they mourn the death of their friend, like it's a lover. They like embrace them and cry and do all these exactly. histrionics. Yeah. Exactly. But yeah, so that, so that's how I made the movie gay. Thank you. That's how gayness could have saved Valentine's Bluff. Okay. Okay. If they had a gay bar in Valentine's Bluff, what would it be called, Patrick? <laughs> Come on, this is good. What is it? Flannels. <laughs> Not flannels. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> All right. 
expected a little more well, then from it, you no, on that one. No, 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 oh, no, no, I'm sorry. Obvious, obvious, obvious choice, obvious choice, given the town and given how gay bars are, the shaft, the mother load, the mine shaft, any of that, any of that. The main shaft. They talk about the main shaft. Those two guys, those two guys spent a lot of time exploring shafts towards the end of the movie. Gay, 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 gay. <laughs> <laughs> your gay monocle, your lens. <laughs> it's a monocle. I don't know how accurate it is, but it's hilarious. <laughs> it is. It is. Yeah. I have to say, one of my most one of my favorite unappreciated horror movie composers, Paul Zaza. He is really good. He is really good, yeah. Yeah, he did this, he did curtains, he did all the prom night movies. He's got a distinct got a, sound to them. Well, he's got a distinct sound because also he, he's got a few, he lifts a few tracks from prom night <laughs> that are in My Bloody Valentine. They're not even similar. They are the same. And uh, Okay, you, we're going to throw that? We're going to throw that? I'm going to have to bring out Harry <laughs> Memphardini. You keep writing the same goddamn score over and yes, over again. Yes. Come on now. Do you know, the music from Curtains winds up in Porky's 2, which he did the soundtrack to. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I know way too much about him. Yes, no, I, no, I no, that, that, no. That's good. No, but that's a weird. That's a weird track. To lift. Just picturing yeah. what it could possibly have been. Yeah, the love theme from Curtains is in Porky's too. <laughs> <laughs> See, I was trying to. I was trying to picture some moody, scary scene in Porky's too. So. <laughs> oh, I I love the story about prom night where the producer said we need all these disco songs, and Paul Zaza had to come up with all of them in like just a couple of days. And just that? make them this close to being able to get sued. Yeah, designer imposters, and they're they're good. I mean, the 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 soundtrack to Prom Night's great. I love yeah. the soundtrack to Prom Night, and I know he he he's come out. And he's like, we hated those songs. Yeah, <laughs> we thought they were garbage. <laughs> they're not. They're great. They're iconic. I love them. I also love the end of the the, the whole last fight. Is normally how last scenes in slasher movies go. I dig it. Um, I love the I love the fight on the minecart. Oh, yeah. They're trying to escape, and he's coming up, and she actually jumps off to save yeah. TJ. The final girl doesn't deliver a killing blow. She pulls his mask off, and he's done. Dare I say, she outs him. Interesting way to end this. Like Being revealed was the big shame. And I lo- people complain that there's no... I mean, I would love a sequel, but I also love that there's no sequel. The way it ends with him running off in the mine, cursing the town forever, this way the legend lives on forever. That town's always going to be waiting for him to come back. Yeah. John Dunning's idea for a sequel, uh, I, I didn't want to tell him. It didn't sound very good. It was like, now she's the sheriff. I'm sorry, that's Suzanne Summers. And she, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> she was the sheriff, and her son turns out to be not TJ's, but it's Axel's, and he's the killer or whatever. Yeah, it's that that's so, stretchy stuff in sequels. Like, we're going to really stretch the original material thin as possible. Plus, you know, the thing is, uh, Valentine. I don't think it made any money, right? I mean, it's it's kind of a classic. We all know it, but uh, uh, according to IMDb, it did six million dollars on a two point something billion. I know dollar in budget. in articles I've read, they said in the states it didn't do very well when it first came out. But it's one of those movies that built over time. Like VHS, it was really good when it came out on DVD. It did really. It's one of those things that everyone kind of knows it. Yeah, yeah. it's never been out, it's never been out of print. So yeah, but um, in theaters, we got to remember that I think one of those movies was coming out like every week or every two. No weeks, lie, you yeah. Know, so. In 1981, absolutely, that was the year of the slasher. I actually did have the ability to see this at a revival showing that they did um, in Toronto, and it had some of the cast members there, and it was really interesting because they were just they loved it. They had such fond memories of doing this. They all had a blast. 
And just, yeah, they talking about the mines, how they were real, how they enjoyed working with each other. It was really interesting. And it was just, it's a great movie to see on the screen because everything's so dark. So when you're in the mines, that darkness intensifies, which you don't necessarily get if you're watching it at home. No, that makes sense. Sometimes sometimes being a, a super horror fan, it is hard to have the uninitiated watch these movies without kvetching through the whole thing. And I, my buddy Valentine, I've learned, plays well even with a non-horror devotee. Mm. Like, you know, I could, if you get someone in the right mood who doesn't even like horror, it actually plays like a legit film rather than you're just dining out on the nostalgia factor from... Because you're having characters that you really like. Yeah, And you can connect to them. I also like, as in Happy Birthday to Me, not everybody dies. There's lots of there's lots of side characters who are really interesting, like Gretchen. Yeah, because at the party, when they find Sylvia and they find Dave, it's they actually do the the, the thing you should do. They point to one person, and go you, you get everyone out of here, and you go get the sheriff because the phone lines are cut. So there's like you do this, and they do. We were having a party, and we were having a party, and everyone started killing everybody. They killed <laughs> Sylvia and Dave, <laughs> and Sylvia's boyfriend is still just in massive shock. Little John, yeah, yeah. That was one of the other things that I thought was interesting in the restored version. They lingered on his face reacting to finding Sylvia. It was much longer. And his friend, again, it's an intimate thing that it gets uncomfortable in a good way, in a good way. That's what so much of the kills are. It's just your understanding that these people are like, oh my God, I loved this person. And it's just like heartbreaking. I think it is a real moment. I think I I would have cut it out though because I've never been in a screening where his histrionics didn't get a laugh mm. <laughs> well his histrionics afterwards yeah i'll give you that i'll give you that when she goes hey, he killed sylvia and david he goes uh, that 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 was a bit much i'm like not your scene not your scene let her have her moment let her have her moment but no i one of my favorite things that i've talked about this on the show before i love a moment in this, in a movie like this where you get to see sanity drain out of a person's face she spends so long staring at her corpse oh yes yeah he's just like i can't compute yeah, it, it's, it's it's taking the time for his brain to register what he's actually seeing. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't know he's in a horror movie. He's not expecting to see that. You don't see shit like that every day. Ben, you don't see people die like that every day. Not let the per- okay, one of the other scariest things in the movie. Sorry, sidebar. This is dumb. This is dumb. The scariest thing in the movie for me was the fact that they were making out Sylvia and Dave. No, Sylvia and uh, Little John were making out on those big park benches in the locker room that they pushed together. A, it was a OSHA hazard. <laughs> I was waiting for them to like, split apart and someone to break their neck that way. But the fact that all those naked minor asses... <laughs> Happen all over that thing all day. And you're going to have sex on that? You nasty girl. You nasty and I love you. That's gross. <laughs> he was a gentleman. He put down a blanket. Put down a blanket and pulled out a condom. He's a gentleman. <laughs> no, I want beer. <laughs> at a girl. At a girl. At a girl. I also miss the era. That golden era. When horror movies had theme songs. Oh, the legend they say on a Valentine's, Valentine's Day. Day. <laughs> it is the best. If Even if you don't watch this movie, look up that song. Yeah. It is legitimately a good song. It's a good song. Apart from this movie. It's a good the song. Ballard. And it's, my two favorite things about it is the way he say Valentine's Day. Like, and the legend they say on a Valentine's Day. The song and also the use of the word thrice in a poem it happened once, it happened twice, cancel the dance, or it'll happen thrice. That's like my favorite thing ever. I love saying thrice. 
Yes, I do love a killer who leaves notes, especially when they're poems and they rhyme. And I also love a killer who cleans up after himself. Yes, he's very efficient. He cleaned up after Mabel. You don't pickaxe somebody in a laundromat and not leave blood anywhere. He took the time to mop because he's Canadian. He's polite still. He might be a murderer, but he's polite. But he turned all the hearts into butts. <laughs> he did. Yeah, yeah, he did. He turned them all upside down. Oh, my God. This Valentine's Day, someone's coming to turn your heart into a butt. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the other thing, the other thing, it's just it's just the way he pronounces the word horror in the song lyrics. No, I know there's always the the, the legendary, never ending, ongoing dispute of how to pronounce the word horror. People like me say horror. People from you know other parts of the country they say it horror. But this is neither. This is horror, and that's a Jewish dance. <laughs> and no one will know as the years come and go up the horror from long time ago. Da 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 da. It was a little. It was a little known Jewish stedel that was also a mining community. Okay, <laughs> who knew? Who knew? There's a beautiful eightfold double uh, LP soundtrack a couple years ago. It's beautiful. It's on my want list, but I haven't found a good priced one. Yeah, yeah, I have it here somewhere. I was just looking for it, but uh, but uh, but it's also available on YouTube for free. So you know. But I love my vinyl. I'm a dork. I love those things. And the and the, the cover is just frameworthy, so I love it. Nice. nice. Okay, I think we might have done my bloody Valentine. Unless you guys have got anything else. Um TJ sucks. TJ does suck. TJ does suck. Never trust a guy never never trust a guy in an ascot. And that goes for Fred from Scooby Doo. I don't know what's going on with him, that boy ain't right. This is why kids, no matter how rich their parents are, should face consequences so they don't become in their 20s before they can deal with it. Mamas, don't let your babies grow up to wear ascots. Okay, so uh, before we wrap up, Brian, let's talk some more about your book, shall we? Uh, one of the things that has made me extremely jealous about this experience that you're on is how many times I see Candy Clark commenting on your Amityville posts. Because oh, I, I, I've been right. a Candy Clark, I've been a Candy Clark fanatic since I was six years old, and my sister took me to see a, a re-release of American Graffiti. I didn't understand the movie, but I loved Candy Clark, and I've been obsessed with her ever since. And I'm jealous, and I hate you. Candy Clark, yeah, uh, she she was in Amityville Three, and the interesting thing was, she said, "I don't know if I'll ever get to the bottom of it, but I suspect that I was replacing somebody." Because I got the call and they were already shooting and it was come down to Mexico. And um, I actually found out who it was. No one remembered. But then I, it was Christine Ebersol, actually, who really even had even had her whole body cast to be burned in the car. But uh, she went on to do Amadeus instead. Oh, Katie Clark. Yeah. So she, I did a nice, um, a, a nice couple of interviews with her. But I, I met her through our old faculty liaison uh, at NYU, Jeremiah Newton, who's a wonderful documentarian. He did a documentary on Candy Darling. And uh, he called me into his office one day. This is in the late 90s. And to meet Candy Clark. And I was all, all excited. I'm grad school at NYU. And like she's going to love me. And we, we talked and everything. And then um, we Candy and I have maybe exchanged a few emails since then. But then we, we got to know each other during the book. And I saw Jeremiah the other day. I went to go bring him some food to his uh, apartment because he's not feeling very well. And he's like, oh, I'm, I'm, I saw your post with, with Candy. I'm glad that you guys are talking because she never liked you. And I said, what? He said, well, ever since that day in my office when you met, the minute you left, she said, who is that boy? <laughs> 
she never oh, no. liked you. So, uh, Candy, I hope that you listen to this because I think it's very, very funny. But oh, anyway, no. that was would, 20 years ago. I would be devastated. I would I would be gutted. I would be – oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. that child who spoke I to know. me? I mean, but half of my existence is posting, like, Candy Clark pics from Amityville 3 and stuff like that. And they, but he thought he had told me. He said, I remember when I told you that. You oh, no, I think I like, remember that. Thanks, you, big guy. You, I said, uh, no, you never yeah. told me that. He's like, well, I told someone that she hated you. <laughs> oh, yeah, everybody, you know everybody, everybody else knows. Everybody else knows. <laughs> I don't think that she's put together that the Brian she deals with now with the book is the guy from Jeremiah's office all those years ago. I have no yeah. idea. But I do remember this. I went into the office, and this was right around the time she had a movie called Cherry Falls coming out, right? In the 80s, she had brown hair. So I remember she, I come in, and she's all blonde, and I don't know why the first thing I did was reach for her hair. And I'll never forget, she pulled back. And I'm like, I think that's <laughs> Yeah. As, as someone who often has weird hair colors... I've had random strangers grab my head. It is very frightening. So yes, I can understand why she didn't like you. Yes, she didn't. She she, she. now I now I don't understand why I liked you at all. Ever I take everything. Every good. Every good. <laughs> good every, if you're not good enough for candy, <laughs> if you if you picked oh up candy, no, you're a horrible just, person. No, what a terrible nothing, person you are. Nothing I said to her landed. You know oh. nothing. I had even gone to the location for the Blob remake, the Abbeville, Louisiana. And, uh, and I was like, oh, do my, I, I told her that I've been there. And she's like, well, my scenes were shot in L.A. You know, they do, do, they do that in movies, you know. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> but she never liked you, Patrick. So that's going to be our new catchphrase. Die Baron. She never Die liked Baron. you. <laughs> Die Baron, I never liked you. <laughs> yeah, I remember you were Die so Die Baron, upset. Candy hates like, you. No, I don't remember. Wow. But Candy, we love each other now. Oh so. yeah! Well, wow, wow! Well, that's something to keep in mind. When, when, Until she when realizes you, when you're reading Brian's book. Do you have any idea when the book's going to be out? It, it, the book is being done in a very strange way. It's being done. It's being designed and laid out as we're writing it because I've never done this before. And again, it's not yeah. going to be esoteric ramblings of academia. It's going to be it's like a, a coffee table book. So maybe I'm doing it the wrong way, but I'm I'm hoping it'll be out for Christmas <sighs> and, uh, you know, for the 10 people who are going to buy it. But it's going to be a beautiful book. What a perfect gift. I think it's fabulous. So if people want to find out more about you, Brian, and where and the book, where can they find you? Like, well, where Bathroom, can stall, look up? graffiti, everywhere. No, find me on Facebook, Brian Thomas Norton, Brian with a Y. Thomas Norton. And uh, yes, and if you want to talk about horror movies or any of that, and uh, do you know, I had done a movie with Betsy Palmer called Penny Dreadful, and one review said it plays like a Canadian movie. And I'll, I'll never forget, it was a dig, but I was so. I was in love with that quote, whatever that meant. Oh, like no, 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 not a dig to anybody with class. Not a dig with anybody with taste. That's a that is that is. I would have that framed. I would have <laughs> the tattooed on my body. I play like a Canadian movie. <laughs> we often have such downer endings. That's why they're great. One more Canadian connection to this book. The one person who has turned me down for an interview is Canadian uh, uh, Helen Shaver, who was in the original Amityville Horror. And I'm really. I hope she sees this because I'm really angry because I did a big favor for her by letting her show her TV movie she directed to my students at NYU and uh, she's declined. Hmm. Um, I, I don't know. But you know what? I looked it up and it turns out she got like the movie stinker award for it. So, But anyway, I'm very upset about that. Yes. Was she the barfing nun? 
No, she's the psychic. This oh. is the passage. So, 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 Helen, Helen, if you're out there and you're listening, please contact Brian. Amityville Curse, 1989. That was a Canadian movie made by Tom Barry, who is the cottage industry of tax shelter movies from that time. He's done like 500 of them. Lovely person. Anyway, lots of stuff in the book. So even okay. if you don't like Amityville, I think you'll get a kick up. So, Tara, you must be excited. You have a whole new book to obsess over when it comes out. <laughs> I'll add it to my collection of movie novelizations or movie-adjacent books. I'm actually shocked there wasn't a, a, a movie novelization of this. I couldn't find one. I found some talks of it, but I don't think it was a legitimate one. So, I was okay, very so sad. Brian, when you're done with this book, you can write that book. You're welcome. Yes. Okay, so Tara, where can people find out more about you and where can they find you on the internet? Probably best would be Instagram. Everything else is kind of private. And that's uh, Tara, T-A-R-A underscore R-A-H-B-O-O-M-D-E-A-Y. So Tara Raboomdie. Yes. If you know the song, you get the joke. And, al- and also there is a Facebook it's a Facebook group for my book progress. It's called For God's Sake, Get Out, The Making of the Amityville Horrors Book. And... Uh, you know that that's where uh, a lot of these people I interviewed, like Candy Clark, and everyone is is all a member there. And uh, cool. um, someday, next time I talk to you, I will tell you my James Brolin story. That and when when Barbara Streisand picked up the the phone while we were talking, and she interrupted our call, and it's very 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 funny, and I was very inappropriate, but I don't regret it. Well, that gives a reason to call Brian back to the show. Even if Candy Clark hates them, I want to hear this story. So thank you both for joining me. And my me joke landed for once. Yes. Yeah, All right. Thank you for joining me for Canadian Horror Month. It's been fabulous having you. Enjoy the rest of everything. I got, I got nothing. I love you both. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. Have a great time, eh? Have a moose head on the way out. They're free. So thank you once again, Tara and Brian, for joining me for this very special segment. What a great time. And I know you're all interested in finding out more about, for God's sake, get out the Amityville Horror Book. That link is right down there in the show notes, that uh, Facebook page. Very busy. It's not just Brian posting pictures and stuff, but man, the celebrities commenting on him. You got Diane Franklin. You got Rudyana Alda. You got Candy Clark. It's pretty neat. I'm very excited for it. Right down there in the show notes. So by all means, follow that page. So now, normally around this time, I'd read a listener review that somebody left on iTunes or Podcatcher or something, but I'm not going to do that. But Patrick, isn't there a contest? Yes. No. Yes. Well, here's the thing, kids. Nobody wrote any reviews anyway. Granted, the contest is is, is going till uh, April 15th, but you know that prize that I offered, that digital copy of in Search of Darkness, that four-and-a-half-hour documentary about 80s horror movies, that digital copy of the movie was on the hard drive that now lo- that no longer works. So I'm running a contest with no prize, which is fine because I have no entries. But here's the thing. I'm not going to let it get me down. I could go all New York on this and just start losing my temper and yelling and cursing and swearing. But I'm going to take my cue from Canada. I'm just going to say, okay, how about I just take a breath, calm down, and find another way around things. The contest is still going. There's no movie, but everyone who leaves review using lovethepodcast.com will be entered to win a Scream Queens t-shirt or mug. Life is giving me lemons. I'm giving you lemonade shirts. Did that make sense? It did in my head. Here's an extra incentive for you. Podchaser is once again doing their 
reviews for good push, which means if you leave a review on Podchaser, they will donate 25 cents to the Meals on Wheels COVID relief fund. And since I'm registered with Captivate as my podcast host, Captivate has agreed to match every donation that Podchaser makes because you wrote a review. And coincidentally, that campaign is running through April 15th, just like this contest. So if you go over to lovethatpodcast.com slash Scream Queens with that urge to leave a review and possibly win a t-shirt, I might steer you in the direction of choosing Podchaser to do that and do a little good, get some food and some help to some people who really need it right about now. One of the things that's been exciting about doing this Canadian Horror Appreciation Month is I started doing some research and I realized there's a ton of amazing horror movies that I had no idea were Canadian. And I had this great idea. I said, hey, I can bring back the Sunday matinee screenings that I was doing for a while. I said, every Sunday I could feature one of these lesser known Canadian films or films you didn't know was Canadian. And guess what? All the movies that I plan to show, they're on that drive that doesn't work either. I cannot win, but you know what? I'm just going to roll with it. We'll figure out something. Canada will be appreciated by this show if it's the last goddamn thing I do. So I also mentioned that I've been having to rebuild a lot of things uh, for the show, like sound effects and stuff. I have to go listen to old episodes and pull, you know, the intro music or the outro music or things like the the Nightmare Clause. Maybe I grant I don't do that stuff anymore, but I'm pulling them anyway just because I might need them. One of the other things that happened is that I had completely finished the Murder by Death episode and the Tattoo episode. Granted, they were getting moved anyway, but they were also on that drive that blew up. I mean, granted, I lost all the editing that I did on it, hours and hours of work, but I still have the recordings. They weren't on that drive. They were stored in the automatic backup on Squadcast. Once again, this is why Squadcast FM has been a lifesaver for me over and over again. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, Squadcast FM, they do remote recordings for professional podcasters. The session that I just did with Tara and Brian was recorded on Squadcast. It's got quality sounds, an easy-to-use interface, and like I said, this automatic backup system is a game-changer and a lifesaver, and I keep reminding myself, you think you're overworked now, Patrick? If you didn't have Squadcast, great googly moogly, I'd be out of my mind right now. So hey, if you're a podcaster and you're tired of playing around with Zoom or Skype, getting so-so sound and files that corrupt, why didn't you give Squadcast a try? You can get a seven-day free trial by going to bit.ly slash squadqueens. Bit.ly slash squadqueens. That means I sent you, and they're going to treat you real nice. So next time, my beautiful, beautiful screamers, we're going to be looking at a lesser known, but no less horrifying Canadian film called Pin from 1988. You know how everybody puts out those blog posts or those YouTube videos that are like, hey, here's the 10 best horror movies you've never seen. You know what's always on it? Pin. You know why it's always on there? A, because it's great, and B, because it's out of print. But lucky for you, it's available on YouTube. There's two decent prints of it on YouTube, so you can play along at home. And you really want to prepare for this one because my special guests are world-famous actor, singer, and supervillain Maya Murphy, who is also one of my co-hosts over at Damn You, Wonka Lewis. Plus, I am very excited about my second guest, who's coming on to talk about Pin, Mr. Joe Lipset. He's one half of the Horror Queers podcast over on the Bloody Disgusting Network, and he's a real-life Canadian. So it's going to be a super show, and it's going to be super fun, and it's going to be super scary, so I can't wait to get down to business with it. On it? For it. I got nothing. 
So if this was your first time here at the Scream Queens Horror Podcast Experience, I hope you enjoyed yourself. And if you did, I really hope that you follow the show on your favorite podcast listening app. And if you really, really liked it, please share it. And that goes for you long timers too. Tell your friends in Canada how much we love them at Scream Queens by sending them a link to this episode. They won't get mad. They're Canadian. And if you'd like to follow me on social media, I am on Facebook. Scream Queens, where horror gets gay. I am on Twitter at Scream Queens. I am on Instagram at Scream Queens Podcast. And if you want to join the ranks of the Super Screamers over on Patreon and support the show and unlock premium content every month, including Damian Monka Lewis, the Friday the 13th, the series retrospective podcast, and the final reel, which is going to give you all the inside scoop of what's coming out in the theaters this weekend. And you can do that by going over to www.patreon.com slash Scream Queens. And hey, spring is here. Time to shed those winter clothes and bust out the shorts and the tank tops and the t-shirts and the sweatshirts. And what better place to get t-shirts and sweatshirts and tank tops than at Scream Teams, which is the official Scream Queens merchandise store. Where you can not only get all kinds of merchandise with the Scream Queens logo slapped all over it, you also have access to the hand-curated designs that I have picked that reflect the Scream Queens aesthetic. A little bit flirty, a little bit naughty little bit freaky, really, really gay, and a whole lot of cats. Visit the store at bit.ly slash merch sq, bit.ly slash merch sq. And if you're getting a headache for me rattling off all these bit.ly's and URLs and blur, 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 fear you not, little one, fear you not. Everything's right down there in the show notes. You just got to scroll down there and poke at them with your finger. They'll take you wherever you want to go. So until next time, my beautiful, beautiful screamers, please continue to make the world a more fabulously creepy place by never ever forgetting the Scream Queen's golden rule. Fight or flight. Survive the night. Make it to the final reel. Wash your fucking hands. Wear a fucking mask. Keep your fucking distance. Get the fucking shot. Uh, maybe watch a little hockey, eh? And never forget that I love you. Bye. <laughs> The music for tonight's show, unless otherwise specified, has been written by Sam Haynes. You can find all of his music at www.bandcamp.com. Bitches! <laughs> Ew.